Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast to reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, and with me is my co-host, Clay Williams. Why isn't this called Wildfire? It just podcast? seems like a... Uh, the uh, the, no, no, no. It's no, like no, a bad no, name. Sorry. The, we have the a bit movie, of an announcement. A, um, the movie... Oh, yeah, Wildfire would be a great name for our podcast, but the movie, mm. why, is it, like, why isn't this like called... Wild, why isn't this movie called Wire, Wildfire? It seems like, like wildfire nice. could be an alternative. Like in some countries, they would tw- uh, switch the name a little bit. Yeah, um, for marketing purposes. Maybe, like, yes, purposes. but it just. But I mean, if you're like a big blockbuster, for sure, maybe. Like, and sometimes those names are even better like than the American one. Like, Four V Ferrari comes to mind. Le Mans sixty six. What? That's so much better. <laughs> What's more accurate? I don't know about better. It's definitely like I was expecting some dramatic fight at the end between um, the two different parties. You know, mm-hmm. old Tracy Letts against a, an old old Italian man. Yeah, a bo- a just, a, match. just a brawl. Fisticuffs. They have this, They both. They for some reason they have the same. Their mother have the same first name. It's crazy. And then yeah, I was gonna say the sequel, Ford v Ferrari, Dawn of Justice. But you kind of took yes. the bit, I guess, okay. for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm ahead. I'm ahead of the curve. Uh, James Mangold's yeah. ahead of the curve this, just this announced. Should, but... Ford v Ferrari 2. Oh, yeah, Ford v Ferrari yeah. 2. Um, this should really start be called... Five. Yeah, it's a fantastic start. What are you talking about? This, Yeah, this should be called Wildfire. I don't know why it's called yeah. Wildlife. This That's is James Mangold's Wildlife. Um, nope. Oh, man. nope. That's, That's not that. Is that not... That, that is inaccurate, sir. <laughs> that is very really? inaccurate. Did I watch yeah, the wrong I'm movie? sorry. I'm sorry to tell you this. It's it, it's It's incorrect. Uh, it is Paul Dano's wildlife, the Riddler himself. <laughs> um, well, yeah. You want to introduce our guest? Of we have people named Paul. <laughs> we have Paul Dano with us this episode to talk about his. Fi- Hello. Uh, <laughs> How are you guys doing? Hello. I was in there. Will be blood. <laughs> you were in that. You were in that, Paul. <laughs> That's correct. I'm glad you remember your own. Gave a magnetic performance this time. Be <laughs> very, very charismatic too. As a young boy, I was in The Sopranos. Oh, <laughs> you might have seen me. Um, Paul Yama's joining us back. Uh, nearly. Oh, down legend. Yeah. Of hey, course. down hey, hey. legend, going, Paul Yama. Uh, yeah, it's 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 great. You know, it's it's been a long time. I think it's been almost <laughs> a year since I, I was on the podcast first. Um, so I'm excited to be to be back yeah. on the podcast talking about another film from 2018. Right. Yeah. You're like oh, it is the same year. Like dominating one year. <laughs> yeah. What's exactly. that 2017? Yeah. Well, I think to literally answer Clay's question, it is all based on a novel called Wildlife. So that is probably why. Uh, oh. It's a novel well, or short story. Uh, it is a novel. It's a novel that I have read by Richard Ooh. Ford, which is a quite a good novel, quite a different kind of approach. Just because you know, obviously, in a novel, you can get into the character's yeah. head but excited yeah, to get in that I'm, perspective I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to talk about this movie mm-hmm. that i think there's not a lot of podcasts out there talking about wildlife of course so yeah here we are. unless it wasn't like a new release and then they just like this is a smaller one that they should cover yeah. but no podcast where it's like a decision like to go back yeah, and revisit exactly. um what was the first time that you saw this so i saw this uh when it came out of course mm-hmm. um i saw it in october Looking back, October twenty sixth of twenty eighteen, um, I saw it at the Landmark Theater on Pico Boulevard in Westwood, uh, Los Angeles, California, which is near UCLA. Um, at the time, I was interning at a production company called Sydney Kimmel Entertainment, who'd made films like Place Beyond the Pines, um, Hell or High Water, and 
what I would do is, is I worked there on Wednesdays and Fridays and on Fridays I would take the Metro home, but on the way home, I would stop and go see a movie at the landmark. Um, and I saw that Carrie Mulligan was doing a Q and a for this film wildlife that I'd sort of heard some things about, had it had a great kind of poster that was promoting the film and I'd heard kind of rumbling. So I was, I was curious. So I, I went, ended up checking it out and went after to the Q and a with Carrie Mulligan and, and ended up really, uh, becoming kind of an important movie for me that year, but a really cool experience. Um, and I took the Metro home at like 1030 at night, which was like admittedly a little sketchy, you know, in the LA area. Um, but it was a pretty rewarding experience overall. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I saw this also uh, in 2018 and I saw this in a theater that was close to my college campus. And uh, it's like five or 10 minute walk away. And it used to be a church actually but then they remodeled it and it was such, and I saw uh, Star is Born as well. So I must've talked about it when we did that episode. Uh, and I saw this twice at that theater, once when it first came there and then once when it was about to, it was about to leave. And uh, yeah, it's just remarkable. I, I love seeing, like I also saw the Mr. Rogers doc there and uh, uh the uh, Gloria Bell, Julianne Moore. Mm. And uh, yeah, and that's just one of the coolest theaters that I've ever been to just because it's so, so loud. Even You're close with, to God. Yeah, clo- close to God, of course. Say that they, yeah. It used to be a church, then it turned into a, a cinematic church experience, I guess, for course, Jack. Yeah. They still it's, have a cathedral all its own. Yeah. They handed the out communion during the, the screenings, actually. And uh, yeah, so it was just really cool experience that I got to, that I managed to squeeze into viewings and uh, sadly no cast or crew Q&As. Have either of you rewatched it since your first time and since Jack saw it the second time in the theater? Uh, I have not. This is my third. Uh, no, I had such a strong reaction, especially to part this specific parts of the movie that I kind of wanted to let it sit for a while. And so this recent time that I watched it for the pod was the, um, the first time I've went back to it since that time in the theater. Um, Cause I kind of wanted to let it sit a little bit in my memory, see how it held up uh, after some time passed. So this was, yeah, the second time I've seen it now. First time I saw this was in January, late uh, 2019. Um, I don't remember the specific circumstances surrounding it. I just watched it at home on Amazon prime. Because I think it, it had came been out at a first. church that was turned into a theater. No, no, it was my home, into a which home. I, I view yeah. as a church. Honestly, it's my temple. You set um, up a like a bed sheet. It's like you start mm-hmm, projecting. It's an active church. Yeah. That would be actually cool. I heard, people are getting more projectors now, and I'm like, mm, that might be something to look into. Um, but yeah, no, I saw this. I think this was. This must have been must must have been after Jack saw it, and I think he talked me into it he hyped it up for me because i don't i didn't really have any interest in it i don't think i mean i heard it was good um i like paul dano as an actor like jake gyllenhaal i wasn't too familiar with carrie mulligan um it just i don't know it just it wasn't it didn't seem like my type of movie so i kind of just didn't i don't know it didn't draw me into it but jack talked me into it i saw it for the first time um at home and i really dug it uh it was it's an uncomfortable watch at times um in the sense of like it feels so like these you know domestic issues feel so real so you kind of connect to them so it's hard to kind of sit through some of the harder 
parts of it. Um, like these kind of movies, this like, you know, movies that focus on relationship with parents are much more uncomfortable to me than like a horror movie in the sense of like, you know, something this real and something this familiar hurts 10 times more than like an action movie or horror movie. Cause you know, it's, I mean, one, it's they're you know, it's like versus reality, like, um, you know, one is in its own complete reality that is not really connected to ours. And one is very much reflecting our own lives. Um, and you can, and it's so much more easier to connect that way. But like, I'd like, honestly, like I'd watch a, I, I've more, like, I don't feel as uncomfortable watching a Saw movie than I do movies like this, just because it feels so real. And There's nothing that it, takes you out of it. Like, it's just. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't, I can't, I can't turn my brain off. Well, plus it's I mean, not just, made it's not made to be uncomfortable it just is uncomfortable and that's kind of exactly. more of an unsettling feeling you know and when just the realities of this family situation when that sort of tips you off a little bit i think that's different than when someone is very clearly designing a situation to elicit that kind of reaction from from the audience exactly um yeah and so seeing that for the second time i had similar feelings but maybe some more issues with it i'm this film, for some reason, I usually can tell you what I think about a movie like pretty easily. For this one, though, I have more conflicted thoughts on it. I think it's good. I think the direction is great. I think I, it, it's a good-looking movie. It's well-acted. I just, I guess the story here, for some reason, I'm having, I have uh, complicated feelings about. It's different from your first feeling. Later. Yeah, it is. I found it more, I kind of... I don't know. I don't know if I was like looking for issues, but I issues were brought to me watching it and the way I felt about it. Um, Do you want to elaborate on that? Like what specifically about the movie stood out to you as different? Like maybe not all the problems you had with it, but like what changed from the first time to this time? The biggest, my biggest issue with it is um, the writing of Joe's character. I think he's way too emotionally mature. I think he acts way too like he's he he's too calm in this movie if that makes sense like he's too measured in his reactions to stuff like he act like he doesn't act like a kid or irrational at any point and I find that to be I don't want to say false but like it it, it there's a, a thing where I kind of can't get over it like there are times where he has these very like adult reactions reaction to things. And I'm not saying kids are like, it's impossible for kids to act older than they really are. But at some points I kind of got frustrated of how, like how much of a, how lack of a much, like a, how hard it was for him to really just react to things in like, in an, from an emotional place instead of necessarily just like he's way too understanding of everything i guess that's my i guess for like, me i don't i don't think of it as him being understanding i've always the way that i've always felt about this movie is that joe is just the kind of person who internalizes all of his feelings about things and i think that it more happens through action and inaction it's i think a lot of the, the stuff he doesn't do more than the stuff that he does that sort of clues you into the the way that he's feeling about things and i think like his lack of response at different times, the fact that he doesn't intervene when there are things happening with his mother and how she's kind of spiraling out of control. And it's like, 
he is the, you know, one of those classic kids that's forced to grow up too quickly, kind of to become his own father figure in a way when, when it's true. Um, when Jerry leaves, but I think that he's, it just seems like he's a different type of kid. And I kind of, that's one of the things I liked is that he is this kind of eye of the hurricane. Like he is the sort of centering calming force while all the people around him are kind of losing their minds. And I think to invert that, um, cause obviously normally you would expect the father to be like the central strong figure that's stable. But I think the fact that it's him as a child doing that makes it a lot more interesting. And I think it makes his relationships with his parents more interesting because it's like, you can see things are, are throwing him off. You know, he's, he's suffering in his schoolwork, but he doesn't, you know, necessarily say that and externalize that to his parents or to anyone else. And I think that his approach to the situation makes him a more interesting character to me. Like, I feel like I want to peel stuff back with his character. And I think one of the great things about the performance, which is, I think, a really underrated one from Ed Oxenbolden, is that he holds so many of those things at bay and doesn't let anything get... And he, his emotions don't spike in the same way that I think would make it a little too obvious. I think a lot of a, a lesser movie and a lesser director would have that kid play out and, and kind of rage at, at certain things that his parents do. But I think the fact that he is kind of even keeled is a better, I don't know, it's a better fit for the type of movie this is. And I think it, especially like having read the novel, like him as a character, I think that fits him so much better the way that he's, he's looking at the world and the way that he responds to the, the crazy stimuli that he's going through. And that's what I always find fascinating about him as a character. Yeah. I don't think um, it's a mistake, that choice. I don't think it's a mistake. I, it, I think that was on purpose and it felt like it, the smartest choice to make in the story that they wanted to present. But for some reason, I have an issue. Like, it's a personal thing, I guess. And that's like the reason why, like, I recognize that the movie is good and it's well done, but it has, I don't know, I have this connection to it that feels wonky. Um, but Jack, you were saying? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I think all, the, all three of them are, are in a very confusing place. And that's, that's how, or honestly, like, you can even throw a Sir Bill Camp in there. <laughs> but, but all these characters are in a very confused state of mind. And um, we can get, we can elaborate on, on it a little, a little later, but also America is in a confused state of mind as well. So those are running on parallel tracks there. And uh, my read on Joe has, has remained that he's, yeah, we see this as a largely uh, internal performance and a passive performance. Like he doesn't um, stand up to Mr. Miller to get his hands off his mom or something. Like it's, it's more he's just trying to drink it all in. Just think about how yeah. hokey that would be. That's my thing. It's of like course. If, oh, no, of course. Like that's, yeah. It would just play so poorly. Oh, it would suck. I think it, the choice the is story. smart. And he's passive, not just in terms of performance, but in terms of character. Like, I think one of the biggest things for me is there's that moment where he goes to the dealership and he asks about his mom and they have no idea who his mom is. And then he comes home and his mom tells him that she was at the dealership working. And he doesn't do anything about that. Like, you see it sort of soak into his face and he understands, like, he starts to see the kind of cracks in his, in his mom's veneer, but his inaction there, I think is consistent with the type of character he is. I, I think that's, I mean, again, I've mentioned that before. I think that's a, an interesting choice in terms of the way that the story is so simple and so bare bones. And I think that it's easy in a, in a film this intimate to look, to lean into sort of the crazier elements to make the characters, you know, like some of the Jake Gyllenhaal reactions, like that's what you'd expect all the characters to be like. But I think that, again, that he is this character that is totally passive in terms of action and inaction is, is suitable for the kind of story. That this mm -hmm. is. I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree with that. 
it, it's all done by design and it's all designed well. And I mean, there is clear thought with every single story choice and motivation throughout this whole movie, um, which is why it feel it's really impressive as a directorial debut because it just, it's so measured in everything it wants to do. Um, I guess is, I, I think those react like the him being frozen when in the scene with Mr. Miller at his house, that rings so true to me. Of course you would be frozen. You don't know what to do. You barely have any idea what's going on. You know, him not calling out his mother about her lying. Believe it. No question. But there does come to a point where I kind like people break at some point. And I'm just, I'm trying to kind of come to terms with him not really breaking at any moment. Him not I think just... this is him breaking. I think him not doing anything is his version of that. Because, so they mentioned over the course of the film that the family's moved multiple times. That they've moved from, from Oregon to Idaho, now to Montana. And the family clearly to this point has not had this kind of emotional blow up. Like when they first moved to Montana, there's like Jake Gyllenhaal, um, Jeanette and Jerry um, are still very loving and, and physically intimate. Like they, they hug and kiss each other frequently. But I think like this is the first time that he's ever seen his family like this. And I think it's just him not knowing how to process that. And it's like, when you're that young, you don't really know what your response should be to a situation like that. And his world is just totally shifting. And I think that like, it's, it's him not knowing how to respond. But I think that he is broken in that, in just his own kind of way. He's just a different kind of person. And I think that, not every person is going to react the same way in that kind of situation with that kind of stimuli. Yeah. I think so this I just, is a very yeah. uh, formative moment in his life that we're witnessing where it's just, this is the, the fall that his dad went to go fight the fires and it was just him and his mom. And it kind of, and it's, and he's transforming as a person. And I think he, he could be a little bit more assertive when he was 13 or 12, but then once he's now taken more of a leadership role rather than his mom's son like they're looking out for one another i think that's where um his more observational uh characterizations come in and i think that's why the film feels so passive is because it's so one of the things that's most impressive about this is the way that it really puts you in joe's perspective i think a lot of that is is compositionally too if you notice um joe is mostly shot in a lot of close-ups like he's really close Mm -hmm. to the camera a lot of the time you really see his whole face um, where Jeanette is not often shown very close to the camera. She's kind of off in the distance in the hallway. She's walking away. She's in the other room. So I think a lot of that is creating this closeness with Joe's character. And I think that's why the whole film is kind of in concert with the kind of person he is. That's why the, I think this, again, this is not something that's going to work for everyone. And I can tell like to some extent it didn't work for Clay necessarily, but I think that crafting the entire film around that idea gives it that sort of centrality that you need if you're trying to tell a story this simple and this kind of pared down which is i think the approach that paul dana wanted to take with the um, with adapting this novel uh so i had a friend that made it just did detour for a second i had a friend that made a movie um the summer that this in 2018 uh, actually some some of the scenes were shot in my basement i always i always like to throw that throw that fact and uh he when he saw this he texted me after he's like that's exactly what i tried to do with my film because it's about his film is is about two people um confronting an unexpected pregnancy and it's very much like just them like you know two or three other characters but it's 
it's mainly flip-flopping between those two perspectives and there's a lot of close-ups <clears throat> and uh, a very knowing sense of place as well. And uh, I think that style that Dano approached with, it's almost like blueprinted uh, with, with the compositions. I, I think that resonates with, with, his, with viewers. Almost Kelly Reichardt-esque Everything feels to me. So, so empty. Like the town is so mm -hmm. sparsely populated. I think that is, it really makes the world feel even smaller and even more intimate. Like there's really only five characters you really ever see. Like it's the, the family, Bill Camp, and then his friend, and then, and then his friend that he sort of only sees once in a while at school. But other than that, like you barely see anybody. And if you do, it's really far away and you don't really get into um, their world. So I think it really makes their problems seem outsized. You know, when the world is small, and makes the problems feel even bigger. And I think that's why um, the family drama hits so hard. Um, and that has this, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I think that um, it's so anchored by performance. And I think that like, this is something that we'll get into a little obviously, but um, this is like one of my favorite leading performances of the entire 2010s. I think that Carrie Mulligan is so good in this movie. She has like this quiet intensity, but it's totally offset by her inability to really control her emotions and her mind and she's just so all over the place and she's just tilting just ready to burst and obviously that that does eventually happen but the way that her character doesn't know how to act the fact that she asks her son her 14 year old son multiple times over the course of the film like what she should do is like so evident of the type of character she is and i think that everything is communicated so well by her face i think that the way that her eyes kind of track across the room the way that her cheekbones kind of sink in and sink out, that control over her restraint of emotion, the fact that you can see her character holding stuff back um, while still communicating what she's feeling, I think is such an impressive yeah. thing. And I think that's, that's really what elevates the movie beyond being just solid, like just a solid family drama is I think that this is like a landmark perform, like leading female performance and like mm -hmm. the best that she's ever been. And she's like probably my favorite working actress so they're like, that's not a small feat for me, but I think that she's so striking in this movie. And that's the big, big takeaway for me. It's just like the direction is terrific, but I think that above all else, like she is just this towering force without being so large and playing notes so big. I think she's so yeah. good in this movie. Um, fully same. Uh, yeah, I, I think Zoe Kazan and Paul Dano give her the best lines too. Like, uh, I'm 34, is that the right age for a parent? And uh, yeah. I think you should know your parents before they were your parents. And uh, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, you're, you're right. It's, it's something that, that it's so measured and you think that the boiling point is increasing very slowly. Um, it's, it's like she's, she's doing this transatlantic accent too, where it's like, it, it feels like her normal American accent, but it's slightly heightened. Um, yeah, and I like I love how they paint a backstory of um, of Jeanette and Jerry before yeah. they had Joe, and it's like information is slowly revealed too. Um, yeah, and and she's finding herself over the course of, of the film just as uh, patiently as Joe is. Where it's it's like I I, I read her as as someone who's for once since she became a mom confronting her choices and who she is as a person 
versus who she is as a wife and uh, as a mom. It's very, very, uh, very layered without like showing you the layers. And this is something she talked about in that Q&A that I was at is that this is a character that would be so easy for an actor to judge. And I think that she's so flawed. Like that is very clear. She's kind of a terrible parent. Like she's constantly asking her son um, what he, what she should do herself. She's telling him what he wants. Like he, he says, he expresses his desire to do stuff and she tells him, no, like that's not what you want. And she tells him how the world is, but then doesn't really know what her own world is like. And it would be so easy for her to play that performance is being so obnoxious, but I think there is such a sense of empathy that she injects the character with that it becomes much more complex than just, oh, she's a bad person. Because clearly like her and Jerry are both highly flawed individuals that have different approaches to things. But I think like even her flightiness, she plays with kind of a grace um, that is, is hard to achieve. And I think is, is worth talking about. Um, I just want to, I mean, yeah, I completely agree. I think she's, fantastic in the movie she makes um, my five yeah i think she definitely deserves to be in the uh, be in the five um <clears throat> i i just you, i just want to go back to one quick thing you said a little earlier paul about how lonely it feels um one of the lines that really struck me um was why what kind of father would leave um leave his wife and son in such a lonely place yeah. a lot of like there are lines like that in plenty of other movies you know it's not like the most unique special line ever but feels like something from a war of, movie is what I yeah think. something like that but like but like one of the, it's one of the first times really that a line like that really hit because he's done so much at that so much uh buildup of how lonely that place is at that point that it just it clicks in really well it really just kind of yes it is lonely of course they she, uh, they both feel so like they feel like they're in this void of nothingness and they have just been left by someone who has some guidance into the whole thing or someone who grounded them to like what kind of path they were on. And now they kind of have to figure it all, figure it out all by themselves. And it's just changed the core chemistry of the ecosystem of their house and the relationships. Um, another thing, the void, the void just real quick is mm -hmm. there. I mean, there are, there's also that line where she says that she feels like she needs to wake up, but she doesn't know what from. And it is like the ultimate movie of like, both as a family and as people, they're clearly drifting through life with no idea what they really want to do. Jerry knows what he doesn't want to do. You know, he has this vehement denial of being a grocery bagger, but neither of them really has a plan for what they want their career to be. You know, I think there's, there's hints that, that Jeanette wants to be a teacher, but she doesn't totally let on when she visits the, the school and when she's enrolling Joe in school. And you just don't know what they want. And I don't think they know what they want, which is kind of the difficult thing too, is even if they weren't in sort of struggling through poverty as they are, what would they even be doing? And I think that they latch onto whatever they can. That seems like the most interesting thing, which is why Jerry takes such a terrible job that's like badly paying and also very risky is because Dollar he has no hour. directionality. He has no directionality in his life. And he's so hard headed, but weirdly doesn't know what, like he, again, he doesn't know what he wants, but he's always interested in what he doesn't want. Um, like when he gets fired from the job and he, he refuses to take the job again, he has such that strong sense of pride, but you just don't know where it comes from mm, because right. we don't, you get sort of these pieces, but you don't really know what his character was like and his grown up as. And it's just two people that it seems like this is the time in their life where they should know what they want. You know, they have mm -hmm. a family, they're married, 
but neither of them has any sense of what comes next. And that is the biggest problem for both of them. That's why I think they run into so many issues, both in their relationship and just in their lives in general is what the next thing is. They have no idea. It's funny to contrast that with, with Joe. I I do think he has some sense of desire with his, uh, not really refusal to not play football, but then he takes an interest in, in the direction with photography. Yeah. Um, because I think he uh, he must think of, of the photography as something that, like his um, his boss explains, something permanent because he's moved so much where it's just like something that is so concrete and he can remember it as as a memory rather than something that's that's fleeting that he's going to have to move to Montana and into somewhere else like Jerry proposes when he comes back from the fires. Um, well, that's, that's such an important thing to course. the photography thing because it is clear that when you see him taking portraits of all these families he's chasing the families that he's photographing he sees the the mother and and father figures with their kids and they're so happy and they're smiling they're together where that's the family he's always trying to obtain which is i think why he acts so adult a lot of the time is because he thinks that the only way that he can be at peace with his family is if he is the bridge between his mother and father he thinks that he can fix everything and i think that's why he tries to inject himself in those different situations and like it must be so heartbreaking for him to see this fa- all of these families that are living exactly what he wants. And I'm sure there are things that, that they want that he has, but the thing that he desires more than anything is just that sense of togetherness with his family. And it's something that yeah. I feel like he just never, he, he's never able to obtain, which is kind of why he's always in pursuit of it. It's kind of like his, his Moby Dick is this portrait of the family. That's why the ending shot is like one of my favorite shots in, yeah, in any awesome. movie in a long yeah. time is because oh, it's, it's, perfect. it's totally fake. Like people will see that and, and and maybe they'll they'll sort of see the weird kind of faces that they're giving, but it seems like the portrait of a family together on its face, and it's this beautiful backdrop, and they're they're all together, but there's nothing to it, and and that family just doesn't exist anymore. You know, I think if they took, if you look at that photo and and think about them at the beginning of the film, it would seem so apropos, but now when everything's kind of falling apart, it's them, it's him kind of struggling struggling to put back the pieces, and it's like him putting duct tape over. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, something that is shattered and is broken, but is trying to make it look like it's together in some way for sort of some sort of appearances. Square peg through a round hole. Whenever I see the uh, uh, old-timey photography setup, I was thinking of the beginning of the master. It's like Freddie Quill. And it's it's just like, that's the total opposite. Like, that's someone that is so devoid of the American dream. And Oxenbold kind of looks like a young Philip Seymour Hoffman (laughs) a little bit. Like a super young, childlike Philip Seymour Hoffman. I can kind of Yeah, that's Cooper Hoffman. Um, I, you were talking about like the couples or the, you know, the, um, families he sees pass through the one that really hit me this time was, um, it was, I think it's like the first montage of all the people he's photographing is the old couple. Um, because it kind of just made me real, like, I don't, I didn't, I don't know if I really noticed the connection with the families he was photographing when they first saw this movie, but this time, of course I noticed it. Um, the old couple kind of felt like a, not a come to Jesus moment, but more of like a realization of, oh, that's what he thought. Like, the, the, you know, they, they, that photo, those two, you know, older people like together, they look lovingly into each other's eyes, I think at some point, and they seem happy. It kind of expresses or is like a, it's a visualization of what Joe thought of his parents. He thought of them as these, you know, as this strong foundational couple that have been married that will be married for 50 years to come or whatever you know one of the classic high school sweethearts 
they've been together forever. You know, they've never, they've never really changed, like uh, had huge marital problems. They've just been their souls connected. They found each other and they'll be like that forever. They're true loves or whatever. And just seeing that contrast in Joe's eyes really hit home. Like, I mean, or not hit home, but like hit it on the head of just like, how his, and I don't want to say facade, but his vision for what his domestic, like what his home life was, what his parents, who, who his parents are and like how he views all, viewed all of that um, coming from such a, uh, like a young age, seeing those images now contrasting with what's happened in reality kind of also shows his mind maturing and becoming more, he's realizing more uh, of the complications and real like the uh shitty reality of life when it comes to these kind of long-term relationships well i think yeah, yeah when you you talk about the dissolution of the family i think one thing I, i'd love to get into is like the moment that the first time i watched it i had the strongest reaction to which is the entire thing with bill camp um mm-hmm. and the uncomfortability of seeing your mom be someone that's not your dad and the slow like how that happens so slowly like I noticed this time around, the first time he ever meets him, Bill Camp is already calling her Jenny, like already calling her a nickname, which is like off the bat sort of is a, is a, a signal to him that potentially this is something that's that's not ideal. And like the first time I saw this movie, the scene where they have dinner together and it slowly sort of dissolves into they, they, they're dancing together and then he finds the, the condom in the drawer. That is like such an anxiety inducing scene. Like I almost had to like walk out of the theater because my heart was beating so fast because again, we mentioned before, like putting you in his shoes so effectively that you really feel like you're this kid and you're seeing this happen for the first time and you don't want to believe that it's true. And what makes it even worse is that at the end, it feel, well, not near the end. It feels like they're, she's going to get out of there and they're just going to go home. And it was just this awkward thing that happened but then she goes back to return the coat and then it gets, you know, kind of spirals from there. You feel like there's this light at the end of the tunnel and you, you can see it, but then it closes itself up and, and Joe is kind of back in his own horror movie. And that's like, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that scene a little bit, but that scene is like <clears throat> so powerful to me, especially like the first time I saw it when you don't know what's going to happen. Like that is a really visceral scene. Yeah, I agree. Um, Bill Camp is, is just also terrific. Um, he holds he holds so much power just with his presence and he's such a obviously such a big person but his voice is very commanding uh he can he can kind of take control of uh joe's attention and and when he's he's like you always compliment your mother you feel like you're being talked to as if he was uh he was like a school teacher or something um yeah, I think she wants to have Miller in his in her life because uh, she she just expected Jerry to be Warren, or at least the kind of man that he was. Maybe not with the wealth or the confidence, but just just the the way that she feels secure. But she doesn't feel secure with Jerry because maybe he doesn't feel secure with himself. See, I don't yeah. think of it as her wanting someone like Jerry. I think it's just that she's so desperate, and especially with their financial situation, I feel like it's her trying to salvage something for herself and then to springboard onto something else. It doesn't feel like there was ever a strong connection between them. Like, I never felt like she never talked about him particularly endearingly. She was even kind of uncomfortable with the whole thing, and I don't think it was just because her son was there, but I think it's just like 
that is her only the only option that she sees and it's kind of the best case with the situation that she has and that's why she mm-hmm. kind of takes advantage like you know if he's probably the richest person that she was giving swimming lessons to and like maybe it it wasn't all in her idea uh, in her head from the beginning but i think that what it, it eventually turned into is her just trying to get herself in a better situation financially just because she's you know they can barely pay for the house that they're living. and then i think we get uh Jeanette's expectations lowered a little bit once they uh they pull up to his house she's like this isn't how a rich person's supposed to live or something like that yeah it's just like a normal house on a normal street um i think if if we were to buy into the theory where it's Jeanette kind of seducing her way into into some help with her situation with her situation um i think it would come up best to to be like she just yeah, she just expects Warren to be a certain kind of person, but then her own ego gets in the way of, of sort of romanticizing this person. I think um, the relationship with Warren is complicated. Um, and the, and the, I mean, the movie itself does try to not, um, it's all show, no tell. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, the movie thrives on reaction shots, um, especially like we're talking about how strong Joe's perspective is in, in this entire movie. I mean, it's centered around him. Um, like you said earlier, Paul, about how he's like the center of the storm, center of this vortex that's happening around him. Um, like the reaction shots of him looking at the fire. It's just, it, it just shows his face for so long instead of the actual fire. Um, when his dad gets fired, it you know does a close up on his face. Like it, it really does thrive on the reactions of the characters of the main ha- moment happening. It's usually Joe's reaction. Um, in that scene in the house, it again does some similar things. It does focus on Joe's reaction to all of it um, because I mean it is his movie, and but he's the kind I don't want to say foreign element, but he's the he's the thing that doesn't fit in that house when it's just Jeanette and Warren. He, it, it really does feel like he's not supposed to be there. Um, and, you know, she says basically right after um, that scene when they're in the car is that she, the, you mentioned, Paul, the dream line of like, she feels she's in a dream. That kind of scene kind of feels like um, Joe, like in the house, Joe's in a nightmare. He's seen all this happen before him, but he can't do anything to affect it. Like, I mean, I, I think we've all had dreams where we feel so, we have no control over it's just happening to us even though it's our own heads are creating it but where you just feel like you're this like kite in a, a hurricane dream, well i've done a dream heist oh yeah. yes we did that or we did that too we did a dream heist that was fun we just did that yeah um well, i think we recorded think that the, episode you, inside you, someone's head so yeah we did, actually we did do yeah. that so yeah. well i think you notice um the time he does try to take charge is when he offers to drive his mom home and that just goes nowhere. And that, I think that's part of the reason too, that he kind of stops trying to be active in his life mm-hmm. is because it feels like it's punished when he's trying to be active and do stuff. Like whenever he, he tries to have an opinion, his mom shuts him down. Um, whenever he tries to, to try change or do something in their family lives, for the most part, he's not allowed to do it. And I think it feels like it's going nowhere, which is why I think his character sort of becomes even more detached after that point is like, what, what is he going to really do? You know, like when he, he sees his, his mother and um, Bill Camp in their house later, like 
what is he supposed to do in that situation? He's kind of out of options. And that's why that's terrifying, you know, such a terrifying scene is because what is he really going to do? You know, he's probably not going to stop the situation from happening. And he just kind of is forced to look at it. So Yeah, that's that's why I, I find uh, so en- enchanting about this trio. Like, they just don't have a clue <laughs> about about much that uh, Jerry doesn't, like, how, how <laughs> he kind of just, he, does, he really does seem clueless uh, taking this position as a uh, firefighter only in opposition of desperation and like we touched upon earlier like how he doesn't want to do a teenager's job with the grocery bagging so stupid and it, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just and, so so hard-headed it's unbelievable. right right and i think the the beauty with that character is like we just we don't find it unbelievable um but i think because he's not like i, I think jerry has an ego but he's not uh, polarizing he's not written so scathingly where it's like you don't want to look at him um like i feel like we know a person like that where it's they like just they want to prove something to themselves while also proving to others that they are above somewhere where it's like they're forced to be that they want think, a choice i think just him as a character too he's such a direct and simple person um you learn, I think, a lot about him and Carrie Mulligan's characters when um, when Joe goes missing and he comes home. And if you notice, uh, Jerry asks him where he was and then or where he went, and she asks him how he's doing. And I think that that's such a perfect contrast of who they are as people, you know? Like, deep down, she is deeply empathetic, and that comes out in moments of stress. And he is such a, again, a simple, direct kind of pretty standard portrayal of masculinity in the 60s and i think that's why he's like practical where did you go like what were you doing instead of like are you okay and i think though again they're kind of it's reinforcing them in their very staid roles as as mother and father parental figures for joe i know like i really took a liking to to uh jay jonehall's um how he captured the essence jerry because uh, he reminded me a lot of the things that my dad would say when I was younger, like, I wish I had some money to give you and ask them personal questions are yeah. things that really stood out. Like, that's so specific wording. I, I mean, I guess it's not, but it, <laughs> it could have been worded. I know what you mean. It's a, it is one of those, like, phrases that feel so... It feels like a, apparently... Yeah. It's a piece of advice. Yeah. It feels like something... It's a wisdom being passed down to you. So it feels like there's this personal connection to it. Um, I think one one thing interesting too about the Jake Gyllenhaal role in this movie is I think a lot of people went into this movie expecting Jake Gyllenhaal to be like the linchpin of the movie because he's he's on the poster and he's like the big name in the movie. And I think mm-hmm. it's his absence does so much. I think for he's the movie producer because, as well. Um, yeah, he's just such a big. I mean, at this time, like this is such a hot time of his career. He's coming fresh yeah, off of Sisters the, Brothers the, as well, the Denny movies and, and all just... that stuff. Like, so I think it's interesting that they take him and kind of remove him, and that's sort of where the chaos begins. Because at the beginning, it almost feels like it's going to be kind of about him. You know, he it starts with him and 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 Joe playing catch, and he's the one who gets fired, and he has this arc at the beginning, and it feels like it's going to be his sort of redemption or his an exploration of his character. And then it totally changes gears and removes him from the equation. I think that's where the, the film kind of kicks into gear is 
it takes your expectations and totally shifts them because yeah. it doesn't feel like it's about Joe until like 20, 30 minutes into the movie, I think. And then that's when it becomes clear that he is the central figure. Cause it feels like it's sort of a family ensemble dynamic, but Joe kind of comes to the fore when that happens, when he leaves. I've always read uh, Zoe Kazan and Paul Dano to use Jerry as like an act break. Like when he leaves is the first act. And then when it comes back, it's, it's like they're wearing some of the gear. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing about Jerry is, yes, he does have those strong stereotypical like character traits of men in the 60s, but there are revealing moments um to him being more than just so i mean he still has he he still serves as that kind of character but he also has glimmers of something more um especially when he kisses his son goodbye you know men men show love too or something something along those lines yeah you're not you're not old enough to kiss your dad something like that yeah exactly and how he's he is the again that's something my dad would say yeah (laughs) um Going to, Paul, your point about how Jeanette is more concerned with emotions while um, Jerry's concerned with the the, you know, the, like, where were you? What were you doing? Who were you with? Those kind of questions. Um, I think it's telling that Jeanette picks up way faster than Jerry that Joe does not like football. Like you, it, she un- completely understands you don't like football. You don't, you know, it, it's not anything you want to do. It's not really, it, you don't feel comfortable with it. It's just not your game. And she, you know, kind of teases that out. Do you well, think that's Jerry him not picking is, up on it? Or do you think it's Jerry wanting him to play football so badly that he tries to convince him, that he tries to force him to play anyway? Because I don't well, think that he, Jerry doesn't care. He just wants him. He wants him to play football. He doesn't necessarily want him to be fulfilled with whatever he does. I think when he said, when his son does say, I don't like it, that's when he's just like, well, I want you to have some status. I want you to have friends. I want you to like, it does feel like he is longing for his son to be, do, do better than him. Like it does feel like he's projecting what he wanted to be when he was younger at his age. But earlier I do think he is convincing himself that oh you'll just get used to it you'll be fine you'll like it i know you will i think he is like i think it's a bit of both i do think he is i think he kind of sees it but he's convincing himself it's not there it's like i don't you know he's convincing himself that it will be okay that he will like it but again he's more concerned with you know he's more his head is more with like the uh goals it can be accomplished through football like the achievements and what you know, what Joe can gain from being on the football team instead of necessarily how he feels. Um, I do like, and the, the crazy thing about this movie is that it sells why Jerry would be a fire, like would go and fight that fire for like a horrible job for horrible pay. It makes sense because he feels, I mean, a lot of this movie feels like it's based on direction in the sense of these characters feel directionless at sometimes like they don't know what to do like you were saying um paul about how uh, how um jeanette and jerry kind of feel like they don't know what to do next with firefighting i mean a lot of people who go in like when people a lot of people who enlist to the army a lot of times they just like i don't know what to do with my life this felt like a grounding force they you know someone would sit me down tell me where to go tell me what to do and i could learn skills from there 
a lot of people go into the military that way. I mean, mostly the army, but like, you know, they just wanted some direction in their life. They didn't know what to do. And it kind of feels like that vibe because Jerry has no idea what, what, what he wants next, but he sees this clear, precise um, course of action, being a firefighter, listening to what, you know, like it, it's simple, even though it's horrific, it is simple in the sense of what he needs to accomplish and the goals he has when he is a firefighter. Yeah, and that um, that whole they sell that really attack, well. Attacking the the fires, <clears throat> it brings a sense of unity with that group of men that's sent out to go fight it instead of the unity that he has with uh, Joe and Jeanette. I think he, he just misses that bonding kinship. Um, well, that's it's, also it's a place where, that when, where he's yeah, not right. concerned with his broad future. That's the that's a place where he's not worried about what's my next career. He's only worried about what's in front of him. He also think he expects things to be totally the same when he comes back. You know, he's so surprised when when certain things are different, when her attitude is different, when she seems dissatisfied. He he thinks that he can just go away and come back and things will be the same. Where she's the total opposite. Where as soon as something goes two percent wrong, she's ready to like leave the state, totally leave everything behind. Like she very early on plans to like live on her own and and move out from the, the father. And she's like, well, I don't know if he'll come back. And it's like that's such a good contrast too. There are two characters and how one is so stayed in their ways and the other one is so willing to give up everything at, at a chance to just be different. Like that doesn't have to be anything that's like notably positive. It just, anything that's different is, is what she really wants in her life, which is kind of echoed throughout the entire thing is like, she's just chasing a change and it's some kind of stimuli. And that's what she's mm -hmm. kind of all about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a change that, that they're all like really looking for, but it's, it's something that, uh, Joe is the only one that seems to be okay with, with being here because he, he doesn't seem to have face any real problems, but he's just faced with, with, uh, Jeanette's problems and sort of like collecting what, what his thoughts are in that, um, yeah, also, I, I, think... I, I always love a good title drop. And when, when Jerry tells, tells his son, this is a wild life, that was just you know, <laughs> one of those satisfying moments. I, I, I love, I love yeah. when they, they uh, you know, vocalize the title in a movie. It's always <laughs> one of my favorite moments. Yeah. Um, that, whole, that whole scene is it's like, like the whole buildup is like, I don't know, the way that Jonah Hall plays it, it's so interesting like the boy 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 build oh, yeah. up it's yeah. that's like classic Hawes. him him yelling boy is like that's so <laughs> on, on, yeah. so on brand. as he's revealed um i think more prominently this decade where it's like he he feels more comfortable in his own skin now that he's been an at least how it's come across that he's been an actor for so much longer that he can take chances he can yeah. gamble with some parts and he, now he can he can then measure his temper. It is interesting that this year, 2018, he had two different movies where he didn't, he very much did not play the centralized role. Um, Jack, I think you mentioned Sister Brothers earlier. He's very much like the third character in that movie. I mean, honestly, he's tied with Riz Ahmed in the sense you can even of say like, he's how fourth. his character yeah. is. I think he's, I think yeah. he's, he's even below, because Riz Ahmed ha is that sort of figure that they're after, and he is kind of an agent of chaos a little bit. Exactly. So for him to take this where he is the 
third, he is the least prominent member of that family. In my Are opinion. we all pro sisters brothers here? Um, yeah, I like that movie. Um, I don't like John C. Riley killing people because it feels weird and like he's just big, this big lovable goof and he's just murdering people. It makes me feel weird inside, but I do like That's how I feel about We Caught Walking Phoenix too. <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> funny. Um, but no, I think um, I think it does feel like he's kind of figured out his career path. I mean, fuck, he might have figured it out earlier than this. I mean, we're just projecting, but like or I'm just projecting, but it does feel like for him taking these very, you know, egoless roles for, you know, um, in a sense of being not the most prominent member of the cast and not having the most to do, um, but also thrive in those roles and give great performances that command, the, you know, command a scene, but don't overtake it. Um, it does kind of feel like he's just dialed in where yeah. he's he's kind of in the Brad Pitt zone where I think mm-hmm. the two of them are just really interested in making good mm-hmm. art happen. And it's like, whatever they have to do to serve that, they will. You know, if you have to produce, if you have to be in, in a bit role, if you have to be the star, I think that those two have such a good analog when you think about their just execution of, of different types of films and like supporting all these different kinds of filmmakers, you know, like, like Jill and Holland has, has worked with a lot of really interesting people. And I think that that, is just the kind of approach they want to take to their careers, which I think is, is a great way to go about it. Just because, you know, if you can use your star power to make cool stuff happen, like you don't always have to be the center of everything. And I think that's kind of one of the best things about those actors is yeah. that means that when they are, it feels really important. I think uh, except for Velvet and, Buzzsaw, which would be better <laughs> off not being mentioned. <laughs> I think uh, him and Paul Dano have, have a tr- have a really strong trust between them. Uh, yeah. Obviously working together in prisoners uh, well, not like sharing too many scenes, but uh, like being in that same environment, um, they were familiar with one another, and he was able to to yeah invest a lot a lot more into the story rather than just coming on as as a hire. And um, yeah, he's he's interesting because the only other performance of his that we've covered is Enemy, and you really can't get much different of a of a role than or roles than that and um i mean both and, characters are kind of going through midlife crises <clears throat> i mean and like they're they're having a confusion of identity um yeah but that it, it's a reach um he is, just doesn't have a type and you know you can't help but admire admire that oh yeah i i, I agree with that um he is becoming Paul, you were talking about his comparison to Brad Pitt. He is becoming that. Um, I mean, he, he's not like, quite as much has... of a movie star, and I don't think he ever will be. Unfortunately, exactly. I just think yeah, Brad Pitt is true. a strat. Brad Pitt is probably one of the like I don't know, fifteen biggest movie stars to ever live on planet Earth. So like, it's kind of hard to live up to that. But I think definitely like he's on the, a similar track in terms of how he makes his choices at least. Exactly, and but like especially when it comes to producing, because you know as we all know, like Brad Pitt has become just this prominent producer in Hollywood with a lot of A24 films, um, you know, a lot, you know, he's produced a a lot of films by some really interesting filmmakers and young up and comers. Um, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. We can consider this uh, a tease for next week. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. Yeah. Put it it in a manila envelope. 
But um, <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal has 20, I was just looking up on IMDb, he has 20 mm. upcoming projects he's so-called producing. And who knows how many of those will happen, but like he's very much put his chips on the table when it comes to being more involved in- Didn't realize this is turning the three watchables. Yeah, <laughs> going through people's um, IMDb's. He also produced Relic that that was released this year. So just like films oh, that you wow. just don't expect. Um, he's He produced the film that's just been screened at uh, TIFF, The Devil, all the time. Uh, oh, good yeah, Antonio Campos. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, good job, Bell. Like he's just on a lot of these projects that you don't, you, you, you know. He's producing um, uh, the Marilyn Monroe biopic. Yeah, it's oh, interesting. For, yeah. I think he is, he's kind of becoming He's more interested into just investing in filmmakers and, like you said, Paul, art. He's very much... And Jake uh, Hall can go back, go down the similar producing path, too. Not just, yeah. like, making art for art's sake, but just, like, if he's interested in someone, he doesn't... Yeah, like you're saying, he just doesn't have to star in it. Well, I think, speaking of the, the filmmakers he works with, um, so this is Paul Dano's first movie, obviously. Where does this stand for you guys in the canon of, like, actors turned directors? Like, is this one of sort of the, the more memorable ones, or do you, do you think some other ones stand out more to you? Of this um, decade, for sure. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's a, just been such a big thing. It's actors have been turning into directors kind of like crazy. Um, one of my favorites will always be Tom Hanks yeah. and That Thing You Do, which is like my favorite Tom Hanks movie, maybe. Um, I think that's such a fun, incredible movie, and that's such a weird choice by him to make that kind of movie, but that's always one that's really stood out to me is like, this is such a, ma- and you know, they're the kind of the bigger ones. There's a few best picture winning ones, but I think that. Ordinary um, people. Yeah. That's the cool, same thing. Like the yeah. year, uh, like a decade later, but um, any other ones that kind of stand out to you guys in terms of kind of actors turned directors? Well, of course I mean, we can go to stars born. We just did stars born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Lady bird. Uh, Lady but you know, Greta was a writer, not just an actress. So. Well, she had the- co-directed a film. So it's kind of, yeah. Like it oh, was her solo she? debut. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Get Out, of course. I mean, a lot of like, like you just said, Paul. Deck. This decade has been crazy with how many actors have turned um, directors, yeah. and not like, and some. It, it's not like Tom Hanks, like Paul Dano and Jordan Peele and Greta Werwig. They're not Tom Hanks, like these massive movie stars. It's a lot of these just. I don't want to say bit actors, but character actors, comedians, like these are just people like Brad. Bradley Cooper is probably the closest since he is a movie star, but even then, no one like Warren Beatty and maybe like Robert Redford. It makes sense why they would get a chance at directing a film, and because they just have so much capital in Hollywood that they could just kind of they can cash in. But a lot of but now like you know Paul Dano, someone who's never starred in a movie, I don't think like really um, has uh, Love and Mercy kind of like uh, yes. Yes, sort of pseudo lead point. kind of thing. Um, but yeah, just to see him, to see him just take the initiative to direct a film, um, is kind of it does show like how how much actors are willing to step step behind the camera this decade um, compared to others. Um, well, I, I think one that like, that stands I'd like out. To, is, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to the gift as well. That one yeah. really scared me. That's Tom awesome. McCarthy, I think, is a big one, too. I think a lot of people might not know that he was kind of a big sort of character actor before he directed The Station Agent in 03. And he obviously went on to direct Spotlight, Spotlight. and the yeah. highly acclaimed film The Cobbler. Starring I was going to say, yeah. Um, but that's, <laughs> I think that's an early example. <laughs> that's an early example of 
sort of a, an actor that you might not think of as having the kind of power or the pull to make mm-hmm. things like that happen. And I think I'm reminded it's so of cool that uh, it's, uh, John Carroll Lynch directing Lucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like stuff like that. Um, there was even, I mean, Clea Duvall has like become a director and like, she's like a really kind of smaller actress. She's directing the, um, that rom-com with Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis that's coming yeah. out, I think next mm-hmm. year and the year, next year or so. So it's, it's kind of a cool change to see that. And then also I, I would love to see him continue his um, creative partnership with his romantic partner, Zoe Kazan. Cause I think that she has the kind of empathy and he has more of like the cinematic language, I think. And the, that stuff really mixes together well. Yeah, and I'd love yeah. to see her because this <clears throat> is the second movie she's ever written, and I'd love to see her get more active. Because though she is a writer, obviously she's done stuff for TV, but her as a creative force is such an interesting pairing with Paul Dano because they seem like very different actors. Paul Dano does a lot of these detached, male-focused, like auteur-driven films, kind of manic. Zoe, yeah. yeah, and and Zoe Kazan is in like Nancy Myers movies and a lot of romantic comedies. She's in like What If and Big the Sick. Big Sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and like they seem like they're very different, but I think as people, they're very similar. And I think that's why they work together so well. Um, and I've, I've heard Paul Dano talk about the, the writing process for this is he initially wrote the screenplay and uh, Zoe Kazan read it and, and came back to him and she was like, it's good. And that's kind of when he knew it, it needed a lot of work, you know, when you're, when you're not coming out <laughs> praising it very much, when it's kind of that, that passing like pity, pity compliment, that's when he kind of <laughs> knew he had to kind of reset the whole thing. But I think that yeah. to them together is, is really good. And I would almost be interested to see if, they would ever write a movie for themselves to star in because that mm-hmm. I, we haven't really seen that too much right it's like a, a, an actor and actress co-writing a movie that they star in i think that would be such a fina- fascinating kind of phenomenon to happen and it like, kind of sounds like something cassavetes and Jean, jenna rollins would do <laughs> yeah like it, it's yeah. one of those things that it's i mean it's it's kind of surprising that it never happened to an extent at least to me mm-hmm. like just because that is kind of a cool and little wrinkle that i think i could see there could be a lot of kind of meat on the bone there. You could take a lot of metatextual stuff from their own lives. And, um, but I, I would be curious to see what his career is going to look like just because this movie was not a big hit. So you almost wonder if he's going to have that same kind of power that you would want someone like that to have, you know, like, I think this is a great and terrific debut. I think almost every review, even the negative ones praise the direction of the film. And like, that's never been an issue with it. So um, I, I'd love to see what, kind of movies he gets into too because you know this is a, a novel he got interested in decided to adapt like how would he be doing something original you know um this is the first thing zoe kazan's ever adapted like in film so that's kind of an interesting uh, kind of twist to it too so i wonder like what their next choice is going to be if they're going to work together or if they're going to work on their own i'd love to see her direct something i think that would be really interesting obviously she has that family lineage of like one of the sort of legendary directors of all mm-hmm. time being her grandfather but I do really want to see where their careers go next because that's this is such a cool kind of launching pad, and I'm I'm almost scared that the film's lack of success and, and cultural impact might make it a while before he can make a movie again. I mean, and, yeah, and it's also like uh, IFC is not always going to be pushed. Like it's they're they're very quiet. Uh, yeah. Um, studio, so yeah, distributor. So it's it's not like you're guaranteeing yourself. Um, mass appeal with them but it's like you have like a secure home so i'm wondering i don't think he's ever gonna make a movie that is gonna have that much mass appeal though this him as an yeah. doesn't seem like i don't even know what his expectations were for this like i'm it's hard <clears throat> to tell with a lot of these kind of movies where especially since i mean 
uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm just not in the know, but he's not a very public guy, is he? Like, is he? Does he do like much publicity? Not at all? really. Not to my knowledge, he's pretty private, and I don't. I don't think he really is like much of a. I don't think he's a presence on social media really at all. So, so he's always come off as very reserved and like self-aware. But it's it's it's. it's I mean, it's this film did get kind of a boost though. When you think, I mean, it was just added to Netflix recently, which is kind of hopefully more people will see it because of that and and be able to check out this episode, but. It also got that Criterion release, which is kind of crazy for like. That's right. Yeah. Like this was one of only two films from 2018 that were like sort of the two, the sort of American. I think this might be the only American film to get a Criterion release from 2018 so far, because obviously. But the sunshine is, in. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah, but those are all that's kind French. of. Um, you know, that's that's French, and and Roma is, is from Coron. So, him being a fr- you know obviously his legacy as an actor probably led credence to that and the type of movie it is, but like it did get a bit of a boost and like i you know I, i've seen some criticism about like maybe this didn't deserve you know criterion release comparatively to other kind of different artists that could have used more of, a, of an uplift but i wonder if this will make his career kind of fast track a little more than it might have otherwise just because sort of in the boutique um film world this is is maybe seen as more respected now because it has that that criterion label on it yeah. and they kind of do taste Gets make a stamp of for a lot of people almost. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, whether that's it's fair or not, they are kind of tastemakers in terms of how people see sort of high art films and people take something seriously if it has a Criterion release and you wonder if that will parlay into, you know, him getting the opportunity to make something bigger or, or just make something again. Even if, like, we were pretend, we were going to pretend this was his only movie that he made and it was just, like, source material that he felt quite connected to and he wanted to work with Zoe with it, like i'll be all right <laughs> like i'll obviously i want him to have a career and i'm interested to see if he's going to direct again but if he's not like i think this is just tremendous piece of filmmaking on its own to yeah. call something that's um it's not like a overly stylistic but you can it's very it attention does grabbing. An, it does have an aesthetic though like yeah. it, it it's very cool colors you know a lot of it's Kind of the, the blues, blues and browns and, browns and, and yeah. some kind of oranges. Um, also, just got to say, iconic sweaters from Carrie Mulligan in this movie. Like her wardrobe <laughs> department was killing because that that red sweater, especially from from the poster, or yes. I guess like one of the one of the promotional posters is like um, just terrific, terrific stuff. The blue background, and yeah. The one yeah, she I mean, wears the, at the diner is a great sweater. Yeah, that I think in general the movie just looks really good, even though it's like a very simple and, and basic um, kind of small story. It everything is is very pleasing. And yeah, very much it feels like a pleasing. Kelly Reichardt yeah. movie to me. It's it's well thought out. Yeah, a little I, bit. It's hard yeah. to it's hard to tell what his goal is for his career in terms of his you know him operating behind the camera because he is such a private person. Um, I just I doubt like he seems like kind of the artist who doesn't really care about the outside noise, especially like the expectations for a film, whether it be monetarily or critically. Um, but this film, like it does, it did receive like from notable critics. Like I think it was in Ehrlich's, David Ehrlich's like top 25 of the year. Cause I remember his, his countdown video. He had that in there. Um, it was, you know, it was just, it was received well and has garnered more and more attention since its release. Um, I, 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 I would love to see him direct again. Uh, whatever he wants to do. I honestly don't really have a preference. Um, 
But if I, you, did. you know, whatever he wants to do, he's an interesting guy. He's hard to read. Um, I would, I think honestly, I would bet more that Zoe Kazan would have, like, is going to work a bit more than Paul because it seems like she is someone who is more like ge- gearing up to having this long career in writing um, and maybe possibly directing. Um, well, whenever he's talked about the movie, it's, it seems like he doesn't seem like a kind of person who kind of plots out his career. I think like someone like Bradley Cooper is very intentional about like, I want this mm-hmm. to be my debut. I want to make this kind of movie after that. I want to have a career that's similar to Clint Eastwood or, or artists that I admire. But I think that Baby too. someone like someone like Paul Dano is like someone who, if something interests him and he thinks that he can direct it and do, and, and he thinks he has a, has a perspective on it, I think he'll direct. And I could see him potentially writing something in the future that he doesn't direct um, or just continuing acting. I think it's, he's more of a, f- a flow kind of person where if something catches his fancy, he'll dive into it. But Otherwise, he's not going to force himself. He's not, you know, I don't see him doing a lot of kind of studio for hire jobs. Like, I don't, like, I don't think he's going to be directing, I don't know, John Wick 4. You know, like, he's not that kind of, <laughs> the kind of person um, who would take those kind of jobs. And, and, you know, maybe he'll have to eventually if he wants to get something else made. You know, maybe he'll have to, so one for you, one for me. But sure, yeah. I think he's the kind of person who goes on feel and that's kind of what him and Zoe Kazan both feel like. Like, I think if they never write or direct again, I wouldn't be surprised, but also if they do like five things in the next 15 years, that also wouldn't be surprising to me. And I feel like this is something that this should be an observation that Clay should have, but uh, he would not be playing the Riddler if he didn't have a take on it. No, I I think Mm -hmm. he's going to bring something very uh, unique and, uh, excited for uh, yeah i mean uh, yeah i'm i mean he's a terrific actor i think everyone i mean it was it was kind what of startling from him uh looper uh, 12 years yeah looper oh yeah he's oh yeah he's in 12 years yeah see he's just a consistently good yeah, actor in any project he works in i mean he usually plays play, plays a horrible person or a slime ball sometimes <laughs> both um but like it was i was kind of taking it back um not to bring up batman again but it like when that casting news came out how much appreciation and love was shown when his name was brought up and how everyone just it wasn't divisive with excitement just the moment they heard his name i kind of was like he is really that actor he is that actor that character actor who the moment you hear is in a project you're immediately interested in he's you know he never plays the lead but to just hear that hear that name and hear like maybe a character he's playing you're already interested in the film. Well, yeah, when you hear that like, name, he just got such an incredible first name that it's just impossible to deny his quality yeah, maybe, of, that's of true. being in oh, creativity. That's true. That's a great yeah, thing. You really shouldn't dance around it, of course. Um, unless his last name is Haggis, in which case yeah. that's maybe a different well, you know, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, no, like, he's so appreciated in the film world for someone who, again, is not in a starring project um, that I have confidence that he can yeah. find anything he wants to do unless he's playing how like, small it is um i mean he he's ostensibly the star of swiss yeah. army man like i guess bradcliffe is sort of the more front-facing figure but he is sort of the 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 you know a lot of people that's kind of why the movie works is because he grounds it um mm. i think he's quite good in, in that movie i don't really like the it's movie very, that much but i think really. that he um he gives a really interesting performance <laughs> yeah interesting is a good word to use He's always uh, interesting in everything yeah. he does. I think that's why also people, you know, are gravitated towards when he is in a project because you're like, okay, that will be interesting. Yeah, kind of because he's just, it's a quiet auteur run. 
<clears throat> to like Steve McQueen, Ron Johnson, Bon Joon Ho, Kelly Reichardt, uh, Ang Lee. I mean, it's, like it's, yeah. it's even, I mean, Paul Sorrentino, yeah, Spike Jones, like, yeah, he's in a bunch Sydney of Villeneuve. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Cowboys and Aliens, everyone's favorite film, apparently. Of course. <laughs> Well, that is, I mean, that is by a famous and well-liked director. So, you know, it's true. Out. It's true. But that, but honestly, that is his most like studio friendly film he's been in really. I mean, early, I mean, a little bit of sunshine is like the ultimate, like that is pro for every kind of everyone, you know, that's like a, for the whole true. family. And he's terrific, quite frankly, in that movie. Like this is breakout. I, yeah, he's, he's really great. And his frustration and obviously his non-vocal performance, but He's we talked about yeah. taking a um, a vow of silence for this episode, but <laughs> we're voting oh against it. How do you talk about that? I feel like that's kind of an oxymoron. I don't know. It is. <laughs> I think that, I think that's the correct the correct uh, <sighs> assumption. Um, yeah, no, I think I'm, this film. Here's something I'm curious oh, about. Actually, uh, n- not to think about it too much. Picking Mind in the Gap last time. Yeah. And then picking this well picking this this time uh is there any connection that we can make to the uh level of masculinity that both movies play into or i don't i think that we're trying to psychoanalyze uh, paul right now i don't think that wildlife (laughs) is wildly interested in masculinity um as like an important thing in the movie like i think it's something that it has a relationship with but i don't think that that's a meaningful theme so i don't think that there's like too strong of a through line between them because I think there's they're just much different films thematically and their ideas I think are going in much different places. Coming mm-hmm. of age is the only thing I can I mean it's this very is, broad like, this way. Shifts away from being a coming of age movie I think into being a True. family drama because I and think camp skateboarding too. <laughs> if only. But no mm. I think yeah this is I think they're quite different just because also like there's the, the you know, Minding the Gap is so concerned about mo- like modernity and the present. And this is a film so set clearly in the 60s that's not trying to be contemporary. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. it's trying to be one of, you know, there's some films that are set in the past, but have those idiot, you know, the, those moments where it feels like it's it's analog to, to contemporary life. I don't think it's as interested in that as as a film. I think it's just trying to tell like a sort of more contained family drama story and not relate that. So I think that they're quite different, actually. I agree. Um, but I appreciate the effort. We're always looking to psychoanalyze our guests. Um, we test yeah, them. no, I, I, I think, I mean, this film overall, I mean, whatever my personal feelings are about it, it's incredibly interesting. It's incredibly worthy of talking about. Um, I think it's beautifully made. I think there's a lot of Great it's a great recommendation too. I would, like, yeah, yeah, I would definitely recommend. Yeah. It's this is very much a movie. Well, I think that... it's not for everyone though. I think it's you mm-hmm. have to have a certain simplistic sensibility. I think because I think a lot of people will go into a movie like this, even if you describe like the sort of family turmoil, expecting and, and desiring something like Offenses, where it is louder and and plays bigger. And I think this is for a very kind of specific type of person that likes that kind of that quiet sit you know you sit in your feelings yeah. kind of thing so, mm-hmm. yeah. i mean marriage story is the more the comparison that pops into my head the most in the sense of loud versus quiet where it's more um, fences and, 
Um, well, no, fe- well, offenses is that's 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 completely valid as well. I just I just recently yeah, I where marriage story is more offenses in the comparison. I think he, I think he's saying that that marriage story is is more similar to this. Like that's the kind of more mainstream or more famous analog. If you're going to draw a line between wildlife and a film that is sort of more, I mean, it's definitely in the middle. Marriage Story is much louder than Wildlife, but it is not as loud as Fen- Like, it tries to kind of do both uh, with its subtleties and its scenes of, you know, blow up. I mean, well, then again, there's, we, we there haven't are scenes talked a lot in here. about um, images in this movie, but I think the scene where she takes him to the fire, like, I love the way they shoot the car, like the car traveling, <clears> where how <throat> it's kind of that, that big tracking shot behind the car. Um, not tracking shot, but it's, it's falling behind the car, and then you. The camera, this is similar to First Reformed in that there's a moment where they mention the fire and you hear the fire, but you don't see it. And it takes forever to show it to you. And it's like really dragging and dragging and, and waiting and, and listening that tension. It's very similar to when he, he um, witnesses his mom and, and Bill Camp's character um, kissing in the house where you know it's happening and it takes forever to finally show it to you. And I think that restraint is a really great directorial touch that along with kind of these beautiful images is what makes the film so kind of enduring. I love how we used reaction shots. Um, I'm a big fan of reaction yeah. shots in any film. I think they can really make or break a scene. Um, Dano just really knows exactly how to do it um, and knows exactly. Uh, Cause it, it, the, his approach to reaction shots of like keeping them on the character for so long and not revealing the thing they're actually witnessing um, can be incredibly frustrating in the wrong hands. It could go on for way too long or, you know, or it's so short that it doesn't really matter that I think he, confidence maybe is not the right word, but he does, it, no, it feels like he knows what he's doing. And a lot of times with these directorial debuts, it feels like the opposite, but it does, it does, he does feel like he understands the, the timing of each reaction shot and how much to give you and how much not to give you to really make that impact. And also we were talking about earlier, keep Joe's perspective so strong to the central, like to the, uh, to the theme of the movie, to the uh, nucleus of it. I, I think um, it's just, it's very, yeah, it's just smart. It's very smart, um, smartly made. Yeah, very sparing use of the reaction shots. Um, yeah, that, that scene where they were taken up to, uh, to the fire it's it's also telling that he wants to go and and search for joe wants to search for jerry but then jeanette isn't even giving it a second thought like it's, i don't want to find him in this mess or something like that right it's I mean, like she's, it's she's moved it. on like halfway through the movie like she's mm-hmm. just not True. interested in, in jerry as a partner yeah. anymore at all it's mm-hmm. so clear. yeah it's very much find it go ahead yeah 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 uh go ahead i think <laughs> Yeah, I had to find it first. Um, this this viewing, I I started to read it as more of a war movie, actually, or, or not like obviously you won't you won't see it like he's going into combat, but it's it's like the mentality of of like the the kid oh, and the, yeah. the wife stay home, and then the man in the house is then um, let off for a specific mission, and uh, yeah, it's like a draft. It, it's like a it kind of feels draft. like a draft. Like everyone's one being could say it's a draft. Guys. And... Well, he kind of volunteers for it though, so it's it's a little yeah no. I, I know, but I, I mean, like, I, I like yeah, Jack's yeah. point though about it. I mean, it, I think it, the choice is important though because it feels like you know a lot of war movies when wives have resentment to their husbands for leaving them alone. It's kind of the same thing of like 
how could you leave me yeah. and go and do this kind of stupid thing? That, and not that many of them stuff. focus on the home life, but yeah. what some of my favorites had like uh, swing shift uh, mm. and coming home. I think those are those are two standouts that are like taking the perspective that is then forgotten because America must be so like uh, yeah all the more lonely kind of like what Dana is is then touching upon yeah. because everyone's gone <laughs> and so then work is to be had back back at home but then it's like then you you sent you're sent yourself to then uh self self-discover and yeah so fighting the fires is, is you can sort of read it as not just a fire engulfing a forest um i i think i mean i did yeah i, I made the army parallel earlier because of how wasi feels he needs to find some direction that kind of puts him uh, on on a path, something that kid his head writes. Um, I do like his line. I have this hum in my head. I need to take care of it. I think that's. I mean, it's not much, but it's a lot at the same time. I know that makes no sense, but like, no, that's like it's kind of this whole movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like true. It's true. It, it it's such a small line, but it that's means so it. much <laughs> to his men. Like, it reveals so much of his mentality because again, we don't get we don't we're not shown that much or we're not told his exact thought process and every decision he makes, we kind of see it and we kind of react to it and we, and we see how the other characters react to it. But that, that one line kind of just hits home to the idea of how lost he is. Um, yeah, no, I think this is, uh, in, I, it's a movie that I really appreciate for every single like writing, acting, directing decision. Um, it's a film that I just have a weird connection to. There are the, I mean, I feel like we all have those films that are just so we can recognize objectively, quote unquote, which that word is kind of overused when it talks about like your feeling towards film, but like you can kind of pull yourself out of your personal connection to something and see the craft in it. I mean, we all have those. Yeah, nothing's we, done incorrectly formally. Yeah, we appreciate that part of it then while we have our personal. More personal. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Our personal kind of connection to it is a little wonky. And that's kind of this for me. I, I guess the only, my only criticism is I wish Joe made a bad decision. I wish he said something that he wasn't supposed to. And I wish, or he did something. He did. When he told his father, I think, about the, about the affair. But he's being out. truthful. Like, I guess it's just. I feel like if he did make a mistake, if I can interrupt, uh, that mm-hmm. would kind of like be the worst version to me, you know, uh, that would be uh i think it would kind of take away from from the parallels that it's running around with the trio because he is supposed to be i mean i i always read joe as uh the mature one out of the three like they are now acting as the 14 year olds and he's acting like the 35 36 year olds and um if he were to like have a relationship with Ruth and then break up with her let's say then I feel like it's detracting away from Jeanette that would be messy I I agree I I guess I just I want him to kind of just 
I don't know. I, I don't know. I think he want a different movie. I, and I think this is just not that movie is the thing. I just feel like he makes the right decision at every time. And I just feel like I, I just want some, I just want one time where he, like he actually miscalculates something and just, and does something irrational. But I guess, again, like you, like you say, Paul, I, I guess maybe I view myself so much in Joe that it's weird for me to see someone who is so like who's kind of different just, from you well because you're oh, no one else should be as flawless yeah. as clay so it's like how could <laughs> yes. anyone else be possibly just, be this flawless, you know i think we have to dial up paul dana now, essentially yeah it's kind of like, i don't know for me I, it's I, kind I of like, like it's kind of like how uh wes anderson will write his kids where it's like his kids are the adults in the situation poorly no yeah <laughs> but, yeah it, it's very heightened in wes anderson and this tries not to be we haven't done a Wes Anderson and yet. No, we haven't. That'll that, be interesting. Yeah. He has a he has a decade for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I guess I I've been trying to I I just just to preface all or to put into everything in context. I just finished it right before we started recording, so I'm still a little fresh on it. Um, I I, I just haven't had this kind of reaction to a film in a bit where I can't well, take fun. my personal feelings out of me appreciating the film itself. I, don't know, I guess that's everything. Could it be that you haven't had much uh, time to let the second viewing sit with you? It could be. It could be. That might be why I'm so kind of like all over the place right now. But um, then we're I mean, gonna I think that's, a, like, that's a valid response, though, too, at the same time. You know, yeah. there are going to be naturally frustrations that we have with a lot of different um, choices that movies make. And, um, you know, I think my thing is just I, I don't think it's fair to evaluate the movie on, on the terms of what you think the movie should have been but like it's also i understand that's fair. yeah feeling dissatisfied like ebert has a quote similar to that like yeah don't review the movie that you wanted to see or something like that yeah re- yeah review the movie that you saw not the one that you, that you wish yeah. existed yeah i just wish there was more i don't maybe not wish i i was i feel like there lacked maybe a character flaw or two in joe he just seems like i don't want to say the perfect kid but Maybe he, I mean, there are these old souls, you know, you talk to, you talk to a younger kid who feels like, oh man, you just, you, you, you already, you kind you might have all this kind of figured out already, don't, don't you? But like, it does, it does kind of just, when all those emotions are involved and I, you know, and I, drawing from personal stuff, like stuff that I've experienced in my life that kind of, that connects to some of this, it does, I guess it's that frustration of, I've felt something similar to this before. Why aren't you like, why aren't you fucking up in some way? Because you're so, he's just so good at all of this. I don't know if that makes sense, but like he just, he says the right things at the right moment. I feel like in this film. And it doesn't matter though. He doesn't, like, none from. of it matters, I think, which is the thing. It doesn't fix his family. It's true. You know? It's true. That's a good point. Yeah. And it's it's yeah, that I futility said... that, that kind of makes that so, you know, it makes it worse for him because it's like, what else could he have done? Uh, yep. Perfect. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Perfectly said. Um, yeah. You're kind of, no, I you're think kind of reminded is... me right now of uh, Griffin in the, uh, Griffin Newman in the Stars Born episode. <laughs> he's he's kind of like conflicted about Stars Born, but he can't articulate why. And he's getting all agitated. <laughs> I'm, 
I like this movie. Or like is I appreciate it. I think I love talking about it, honestly. Even if I have that kind of weird frustration with it, I think it's an incredible piece of arc that should be valued as such. I think people should watch it no matter if you dislike it or not. I think it should be experienced in some way. Appreciate everyone in this film. Appreciate all the pieces that go into it. Um, I just have that weird thing about it. Um, and uh, I do think the kid, even though I'm expressing maybe some issues with the kid, I think Joe, the actor who plays Joe is great. I think he gives a great performance. Um, I mean, I think I think a lot of, I can't point out like a structure, like a real flaw with it, really. It's just okay, just admit thing. that you hate Carrie Mulligan then. Just, <laughs> just That would be like a take. It. That would be a Seriously. take to just right. say out of, all of a sudden. As a God. person, yeah, right, imagine. <laughs> not only is that like deeply i i do want to tell a quick funny story about the q a that, that i attended Ooh, yeah. so so the guy who was hosting had asked her this question about her relationship to the works that inspire the, the films that she does and she talks about how the types of movies she likes to make are based on certain types of source material and how she wants it to feel real and grounded and not in some other crazy flung off world and then like she specifically said that she's not really interested in playing um these really crazy like iconic characters that people have images of already in their heads and stuff. And then the first guy who asked the question at the Q and I proceeded to ask her which comic book movie characters she wanted to play. <laughs> and I like writhe into my seat. It was like secondhand no. off embarrassment for this guy. I was like, dude, were you not listening to the entire, oh, no. oh. it was so, it was just why, I mean, even before she said that, I just would never ask that to Carrie <laughs> Mulligan. Like, what are you doing? Yeah but that was a hilariously painful <laughs> and awkward moment just because like what like what is the answer that he's looking for you know like oh did i she, hope she says she wants to play black cat like what like what yeah. is happening did she have an answer or did she no, kind of just, just like no, no she just was kind of like no i kind of just mentioned uh a little bit earlier um that i'm not really particularly oh, interested in in those kinds boy. of materials as as inspiration and uh, i had to kind of quickly move off of that but uh that's she was she was oh. she was lovely we i chatted with her for like a couple minutes afterwards just expressing my adoration of, of her work and just yeah. her as an actress is such an incredible figure i mean she's does so many different kinds of roles but they all have this strong empathy and i think she's remarkable i will i will watch anything that she's in i'm excited and, for uh, promising young woman yeah we've I'm, we've already i'm covered, really uh, interested in seeing that yeah we've already covered inside lone davis and shame and those are yeah. two performances that you can't Wow, we have done three Carrie Mulligan movies. Yeah. It's weird, crazy that they do that and Clay hates her. That's the wildest thing. It's, it's true. I have this, <laughs> right. this hidden hatred for her, and that's why He's I'm excited. And I mean, I could see you guys like covering more. Like, I could see Drive or Never Let Me Go being yeah. someone's pick for this for this show. Yeah. So. I'm sure Drive is going to be chosen fairly soon. Yeah, it's Nicholas Wind and Ruffin. He's coming on the show. It'll be very fun. <laughs> It'll be six hours. It'll be all in neon. <laughs> There's going to be a Sims seen, 4 underneath this. Yeah. Have you guys seen that TikTok video? Or not, I don't know if it's no, TikTok. The answer his is daughter, no, the answer is no. The answer is no. His daughter just dancing in front of him, and he's trying to... It's very fun. He seems like a weird guy. Uh, moving Alfonso on. Karan had, makes TikToks with his yes, daughter. Yes, that's great. Yeah, yeah that's that, true. I saw that. That song, is... Actually. That <laughs> is <laughs> no, I've seen that one. Um, yeah, no, I think... Uh, I really appreciate talking about this movie, honestly. Mm. Oh, I, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really dug it. Uh, I'm excited for, I don't, I, I just mentioned it, but Promising Young Woman, just something that's coming out. In t- whenever it is. Whenever no it's coming out. Really, just, truly no in the middle of that sentence and I'm yeah. like, I have no idea when anything's coming out anymore, <laughs> but that seems cool. I like Carrie Mulligan. I think she's great. I think this is a 
amazing performance given by her. Um, mm-hmm. I really, I, I, I appreciate this movie. I think it makes my, I think it wins my uh, best actress. Best actress this year, yeah. I uh, think so. I think this. It's either her or Tony Collette. My my decade best actress actually wow. on my in my personal canon. This is like a very important performance for me. Yeah, yeah. I, d- I, I never filled out my decade uh, spreadsheet. That's all. All I you know filling out spreadsheets is like you know that's my that's my shit. So I just sit there. Who is my you know fourth favorite supporting actor of nineteen seventy five? And it's like why am I doing this? Because I don't know. It's my my brain just needs to scratch that itch. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, but I was surprised you guys you picked this. You know, I, I sent kind of a, a small list of potential movies to cover, and I was kind of pleasantly surprised that this was Jack, the one that ended up being picked. Jack would, uh, really fought for it, and I'm like, yeah. all right, let's do it. Uh, oh, I so, so I asked Jack it. off air, um, what is a movie that you want to cover, Clay, that Jack refuses to do, or that you think he wouldn't do, that you would love to talk about on the show, if you can think of anything? I couldn't come he, up with an answer. He's one of the he's someone who is very open to covering anything. Or a movie you guys um, want to cover that a guest just hasn't picked and you, you're, you're worried that no one will pick it. Holy Motors. Oh. Wow. Is, is an answer that st- sticks that out scary. because I have been craving to revisit it ever since. It's kind of a hard film to talk about, though. Like, there's so <laughs> many ideas. I feel like the podcast would be, like, 10 hours long. <laughs> right. That's true. Um, I think maybe... I'll say it's more selfish then just because I want an excuse to see it again, even yeah, if the fair. pod would be challenging. Uh, Patterson, too. <laughs> again, like a hard, a hard uh, conversation, but that's... At least it's Patterson, that's too. Like, the, like, it's like a crossover with like Paddington, too, but it's, like, <laughs> it's Patterson, you know? I would love that. That would be nuts. Jim Jarmusch um, is Paddington 3. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like I don't like thinking about that at all. Um, way of the way of the samurai, yeah. Paddington three, way of the samurai. I I don't know if Cigarettes I have one honestly. I kind of feel confident that people. I mean, like maybe like a film like Dread or something, a movie that okay. you know. I know I've talked. To, it, it's a running theme. That's a movie that I I desperately want to cover because I just think it's so underappreciated and so like fun and I don't know. That will be ten hours long. Not comfort food. Um. But I mean, besides like that, you're gonna film know. the entire episode in slow mo. The, the entire oh, podcast is gonna God. be slow. And just get my inhaler and just feel music. <laughs> uh, I love how Jack has no idea what slow mo is. No, no. In fact, there's been a the few spread out questions where I'm like, I could not even. Yeah. Like yeah. I would even guess wrong on multiple choice. Like, Maybe walk. <laughs> I think walk with Tom Hardy. I think that's actually one that I'm worried that, or not worried, but like I'm like, oh, I don't know if we'll ever actually cover that. I think that would be great. My thing is, I, I was going to say this before, but I wanted to, to talk about it at this point. At what point are you guys going to do exit through the gift shop? I feel like that's like, it, you know, to quote Jules and Ladybird, it is basically the titular role of this podcast and you have to do it at some point. Like maybe that's like the hundredth anniversary yeah. or something, but it's like, it's like, blank it's like check the golden goose check. almost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. It's yeah. like that sort of meta, that meta narrative, you know, you got egg, exiting through the gift shop. It's even I in the 2010s. I should, yeah, I, I suppose I oh. should come claim that is part of the inspiration, yeah. the title because uh, po- maybe possibly I couldn't come up with a title so maybe I s- took inspiration but no you're right it is the titular role and uh, so you gotta just do it at some narrow- point it's gotta be like some crazy yeah. mega episode or maybe just yeah. Clay in locked in Jack's basement doing it by himself <laughs> right exactly as someone who has just learned about this movie the moment you mentioned it 
Paul. Uh, I have the no idea. Doc. It's a, I know it's a documentary about, about the artist Banksy, the, mm-hmm. the famous street artist, mysterious figure. Some would say criminal, but other would say artist. I mean, you there can, you go. You can be both. Can I be had both. no idea that Jack, you got this from, or that you use this title in some way to create the podcast name. Uh, I am in shock right now. We're learning things here. You know, this yeah. is ex- ex- an expose on the, the origins of this podcast. Truly. Paul's digging no to us idea. as much as we're digging. Now, to this him. is where I tell you that Jack actually asked me to co-host the podcast, just, but then I, I said no. So oh, I, like, I, I guess Clay a, is going to be the. No. Yeah, I already had a feel. I had and a there's feeling like about a, that. There's like a cartoon door underneath you. So like when I pull the lever. Yeah. The moment I got his text, <laughs> I, I felt like a plan C. I felt yeah. I felt like a plan C from the very beginning. Uh, yeah, we'll go with C. Okay, cross sure. off that C. name. <laughs> well, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on. We really, pre- yeah. oh, wait, 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 wait. Favorite scene. Fuck, I forgot how this podcast works. <laughs> yeah, so Sorry. should we do uh, uh, pieces and video essays that we want to shout out before this or after? Before the favorite scene? Yeah. I mean, shouldn't we do, we, can, we, just, we just do just favorite scene first and then we'll. You know, first, we'll okay, out, yeah. you want to do that? All right. Yeah. Um, Who wants to first? Hang on. Do we like, uh, our guests go first? Oh, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. That's fair. Do you have to run this? Mm. 48 I feel episodes. bad. I don't know which scene do I want. To... I feel like there's really two scenes, which is the tough thing. Like there's the two big scenes for me that are kind of momentous. I will say, I guess just because of, of how it impacted me the first time, I'll go with the, the, the dinner um, at Mr. Miller's house. I think that that feeling of anxiety was so strong i like at i legit stood up in the theater and i was like getting ready to walk out and go to the bathroom for a little bit just because like it was getting to me so hard and i think that's one of the most horrifying ideas in movies is a kid seeing his parents one of his parents cheat on the other parent that is like really rough um and i think that scene is just so it's so slow you know he he does the thing where he's talking he's saying good things about his fa about jerry and he's kind of kissing up to to try to make Joe like him and he's doing all these things to make himself look powerful at the same time. And then, like I said, the, just that total rug pull of they finally get out, they're about to go home and she goes back in for the coat. And it's like, ah, oh, man, that scene just really hits, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have one her? Well, it would be a cop out to say the ending shot. Um, Cause that's just I don't great. Think so. it's perfect. I used it last um, week. I mean, you can truly. I, I, I'll, I actually, I won't um, because I, well, I mean, yeah, I will. Um, I speaking of the dinner scene, I love his monologue about him in the airplane, four thousand feet up. I I just think it's incredible. And of course, Bill Camp is one of our best actors. Honestly, is just always fucking nails any scene. He delivered he's in. that one monologue in The Outsiders about the oh, just exactly tigers or something like it's... every mon- like any. I'm here for a Bill Camp monologue twenty four seven. He's getting um, an Oscar someday. I have a feeling. Oh fuck! I can't wait. Um. <laughs> But like the ending shot is just truly incredible, and it's just so you know, I, I, it, what 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 is there to say? It's it's truly like a speechless moment of the film. But the first montage of like right after um, Jerry is fired, and they're all figuring out what to do, and it's just cutting back between like Carrie um, um, or sorry, uh, Jeanette at the Y doing you know um, doing her swim lessons to. Jerry looking for a job or looking at the office where they volunteer for the firefighting and then like um, Joe doing classwork or whatever, just like that whole jumping through life. Yeah. It communicated so much. Um, no, thank you for, really felt... for picking that because I, yeah. I just, we never mentioned the music. Mm-hmm. 
music's very understated. Very like, spare. Very, really understated. very melancholic. It's all. It's all um, very moody. Yeah. Adjectives. It's perfect for this movie. It's perfect. It's perfect for this movie in the sense of, like you said, melancholic, sparing. It's just. It's kind of it. Um, yeah. No, I just think that montage is truly like. I don't know. I feel something watching it. I see like the struggles and it's, again, the editing is really well done. Um, uh, it really kind of grounds the feeling for the, uh, it, it grounds the setting for what's going to be happening in the next hour or so of like where these characters are at and where they are operating from. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's my pick. How about you, Jack? I'm going with uh, the diner scene. There it is. That's what, I, yeah. that's what I was thinking about picking. And I was like, it's yeah. kind of the obvious one, but it's for a reason. It's yeah, it's just a standout. My mom and I used to do uh, frequent hooky uh, dates when, when I was Joe's, when I was Joe's age. And it's like the way that Jeanette holds herself is a lot like my mom, I think. Um, yeah. Is it weird that like he doesn't know short... his own mom's age? Is that weird to you guys? When I was 14, I, I, I don't think well I I guess yes and no because I think it wouldn't be weird if he did but it's also not weird if he doesn't it would be I weird if, thought that was a little strange it is a little strange it would be weird if he was like off like if he didn't even know she was in his like th- she was in her 30s but I can't tell if he did like if he was maybe if he, if he was acting like the exact age I think he said how exactly old are you Maybe he was off by a year or two, but if he would thought she was, if she was, if he thought she was like in her fifties, then I would be like, yeah, that's. Fucking I was just, crazy. I was always, I guess I was a curious kid, so I always would want to know stuff like that. So it just surprised mm-hmm. me that he's like fourteen years old and yeah. he just doesn't know how old his own mom is. It's kind of crazy, and it's kind but of sorry. Funny. I kind of like, derailed your. Yeah, no, 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 no it does stand out. It does stand out. It's kind of, it's kind of weird to think like she had Joe when she's at her age too, essentially. I, <laughs> It's, yeah like fuck. obviously we yeah, don't, you're right. we don't uh think of we don't i mean at, at least for me like i haven't thought of kids <laughs> so it's, i mean like circumstances i'm well, sure he has kids he just hasn't jack. thought about them jack's like yeah eh, they're not really important i just put them up for adoption <laughs> it's true it's fine yeah. it's actually true yeah. it's very true um, he has a dark side that jack well listen um it'll that's, i mean that's a great scene it reminds me a lot of the scene in vox lux when they go to the diner i don't know if you guys mm-hmm. have seen vox lux yes, but yeah are you pro or anti vox lux um, I was very pro. It's losing me a little bit as time goes on. It, it lost me when I was watching the movie. Um, and I loved, <laughs> uh, I loved when they go to talk about their names and like when she's confronting him about if he thinks Joe is a boring name and he never really thought about never it. thought about it, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then she's, I mean, again, Carrie Mulligan is just like born to play this role. Uh, she's like going on about how Lottie is is almost a, a name that she finds more attractive um yeah it's it's all just so good and, and their chemistry together is so organic uh it's so it's so winning because then you get you cut to those shots of the firemen um oh what does she say about them uh guys, but any, anyway it's just yeah it's just fantastic little piece little short film i suppose it, it does kind of yeah it does feel, feel very singular to the whole movie it is yeah. kind of like a a contained scene um it's like also one of the only scenes that's out of town so it does feel like 
don't know. They do feel like out of their element. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, now we can plug any essays yes, or reviews we want to plug. Um, do I go first? I don't. I mean, like I said, I just I just finished the movie, so I don't. I haven't really had time to um, look at a few. I mean, there's a, you know, if you go on Letterbox and you follow the right people, you can usually find some good ones. I really like um, Justin Chang's review. I mean, Justin Chang just always read all of his reviews, but his review for this, I think, is really insightful. Um, and I like the conversation that Paul Dano has on the big picture um, with Sean Fantasy about the making of this movie and the, the process of coming to it. And I think that's really great. It's only 30 minutes, but it's really kind of illuminating about why he made the movie. And Sean's what a about, fantastic interviewer. Yeah. yeah, and what about the movie he's, he was interested in? And he's a great talker. I think Paul Dano is like really articulate and smart about yeah. what he likes and cares about in movies. Uh, Owen Gliberman's review for Variety that was really well articulated as well. That's all I, I have. Um, yeah. yeah, let's get to plugging ourselves. Um, I, I, I do, let me, you know, the usual suspects of Ehrlich, um, he has a decent review for. I'm just looking at it now. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know, I've read some of these. Um, but like uh, Ryan Neal, uh, Dingsling, I, I, I forgot how to pronounce his name. Oh, yeah. Abby um, knows him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he had a he had, he has a good review for the real nine, or whatever that is. I just know him on Letterbox, so I'm just you know, so reading just reading his stuff. He has a good one, um, and yeah, just, uh, just get another user on uh, Letterbox, Zachary. I don't know his last name, unfortunately. I'll, I mean, we'll send the links or whatever, but he has a good one as well. Um, plugs. Well, first, let's just thank you. Or thank you. Thank You're welcome. You, Paul Yama. <laughs> for coming on this show. Uh, thanks for coming back. We love to have you come back anytime you want. Yeah. Just uh, call us like when we're not even online, just like you can. That is exactly how you get in contact us. with yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you have to plug, Mr. Oyama? Uh, nothing too crazy. I mean, my, my letterbox, I guess is the main thing. If you want to know what I watch and, and what I think of what I watch, you know, just look up my name, P-A-U-L-O-Y-A-M-A. Um, Follow follow Jack's dog on Twitter. Uh, big letterbox presence too. But no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I tweet Boxy once Draper. in a while. <laughs> uh, I I tweet once in a while. Paul underscore Oyama. But um, yeah, later letterbox is the main thing, especially if you're interested in movies. I obviously I competed in the movie trivia show, which is a movie trivia show um, that uh, you know that incorporates sort of character and, and trivia at the same time. So that's kind of you know that's my regular film thing, but. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the main outlets, I guess. I don't really write for any publication or anything, so just check me out there. Any upcoming matches? Uh, yeah, I have a round two match uh, of the tournament against Jeff Snyder, uh, kind of infamous uh, movie newsbreaker Jeff Snyder. So uh, tune in for that. If, you know, Yui Bull could beat him in the boxing ring, can I beat him in the trivia ring? Oh, that's a story. I, I unfortunately know that story. Hey, if you can do it once, you can do it again. Oh my god! Uh, I'm yeah, really looking forward to that match. Uh, Jack, where can everyone find you? On um, yeah, on Twitter, I'm Jack A Draper, and my writing about movies can be found at places like Simple Cinephile and Cineflix Daily. Is there anything you want to tell us about your dog? By the way, I mean it's a very cute dog. <laughs> Any uh, personality traits? Cocker, spaniel, and poodle mix. Uh, barks whenever uh, a sound is made. I don't know. <laughs> like, good, good to know. Good to know. Naps and eats. Yeah, okay. naps are nice. Yeah. Um, y'all can follow me at Clay. Oh, 
I almost, I almost gave, did the old username. Yeah, you did it again. I almost did it. Uh, miss, uh, God damn it. I can't remember the username. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Twitter like a and Letterboxd at Birds of Clay. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clay Williams. Um, you can follow this podcast Twitter account at ETT Pod. Uh, you can leave us uh, a voicemail on Anchor. Uh, please remember to give us those. Uh, give us. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Give us those five stars. We greatly appreciate it. Um, next week we have. I actually know this one. I don't even have to. Well, I don't have to. I can. I don't know. I got no, it. I, I got can, it. Well, I don't even need to ask you. I, I know it. Well, once upon a time I in Hollywood it. with Vinny Manacuso. I'm very excited for that. Two things I love, Vinny Manacuso and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So very excited for that. Be on the I feel like I've, my spotlight's been stolen. Yeah, I'm, when, it comes to Vinny Man, when it comes to Vinny, I, I, I take the initiative. Well, um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. Um, please stay safe if you're in the California and Oregon area. I'm in Oregon currently. It's Why? What's happening? Crazy. Oh, stop it. Shut up. They're, they're, uh, fil- they're reshoots for Dune. They're, they're Dune reshoots for Dune. Oh, God. That's actually a good joke. Um, yeah, but no, just like, please stay safe. Uh, it's crazy right now uh, okay. with everything going on. I live in Oregon. It's a little We did not mean but... to, to make this a reality no. with covering Blade Runner 2049. Oh, God. All right. I'm about to just... All right. Okay. Um, yes. But yeah, please stay safe, everyone. Um, yeah, rough times. Uh, I think we're all going to be okay. Um, yeah, thank you all so much for listening and please remember, Black Lives Matter, defund the police, and we'll see you next time.